welcome to the Ecology Hour. I'm Anna Halligan, and during tonight's show, I'm going to revisit the topic of beavers. The show is going to include an initial segment of an interview that I conducted last January with the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center's co-directors of the Water Institute and the Bring Back the Beaver campaign, Kate Lundquist and Brock Dolman. The rest of the show will include a conversation I recorded with Kate last week when I called her to learn more about what the California Department of Fish and Wildlife's new beaver management plan was all about. But before I play either of those interviews, I thought I would read the first few sentences of an op-ed that came out in the LA Times today entitled, Want to Fight Climate Change and Drought at the Same Time? Bring Back Beavers. And this was by Chris Jordan and Emily Fairfax. Millions of highly skilled environmental engineers stand ready to make our continent more resilient to climate change. They restore wetlands that absorb carbon, store water, filter pollution, and clean and cool waters for salmon and trout. They are recognized around the world for helping to reduce wildfire risk. Scientists have valued their environmental services at close to $179,000 per square mile annually. And they work for free. Our ally in mitigating and adapting to climate change across the West could be a paddle-tailed rodent, the North American beaver. And there is a growing consensus among scientists and other restoration practitioners about the benefits of working with beavers to protect our natural environments. When we live in a state that's lost 90% of its wetland area, you know, beavers could be a really useful species to help address wetlands loss and to improve our ability to be resilient in the face of climate change. And Kate and Brock are two of the best-versed people to talk about this. So here is my recording with them in January. I think my first question for you both is just, and either one of you could address this, but um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what the Bring Back the Beaver campaign is. Like, how did it get started, and um, what is the campaign doing? So Brock and I have been doing watershed restoration work from the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center for a couple of decades now. And in our work to recover listed salmon, in particular coho salmon, we were really kind of scratching our heads trying to pull all of the tricks out of of the hat and make sure that we were exhausting all the, the opportunities for recovering them. And and one thing that was blatantly missing in the portfolio was beaver, because we noticed colleagues in other states were doing a lot of great work partnering with beaver to restore coho salmon in particular. And there's a lot of great research coming out, showing the benefits. And we realized that, wow, what's happening in California? How come we aren't working with beaver more proactively to make sure that our salmon are having the habitat that they need to survive. And so that really kind of got us inspired initially to get more serious about focusing on beaver restoration in this state and figuring out ways that we could remove obstacles to 
making sure that the beaver we have are being stewarded and that we could ultimately restore beaver to their former range in the state. I'm kind of curious if in your research, like a lot of the benefits that come from beavers are pretty well documented, as you said. Like for most people who are researching these, they're, they're referenced as like uh, ecosystem engineers and they also get the title of being a keystone species because they are so important for these wetland ecosystems and they have like a variety of functions. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what some of those functions are? Sure, I can step up on that one and just say, yeah, I think as Kate said, it was really our coho recovery work that got us thinking about everything and, and beavers. And I'll just say that myself, having grown up in, in the Rocky Mountains and in the East Coast of Maryland, where a lot of beaver ponds and beaver dams were, and as a kid who um, went fishing, and caught snakes and caught frogs and turtles, beaver ponds were always just these biological oases. And so I think I had an intrinsic sense of that, but it really was then it came back around that muscle memory when we were, again, working on watershed restoration, salmonid recovery, and thinking again, here we are in this coastal California area where the Pacific Northwest rainforest in some cases meets up with the Mediterranean climate, and we've got big wet short winters and longer dry seasons and as we know fish need water and water is important and that's what beavers and specifically the beavers who make beaver dams these structures that are made of sticks and logs and mud and, and rocks and depending on what the beavers have to work with that typically can impound that water can hold water back can in, create an in-stream impoundment or connect uh, the stream to off-channel habitat to oxbow bends or other areas that can slow that flow down, hold water on the landscape longer, he increase the recharge of that water in many cases, possibly then extend the flow of water, the stream flow downstream by having this in-stream water holding sponge, improve water quality in many cases because of the wetlands that grow around there, basically biological filtration. Um, they're basically subsurface irrigating the riparian habitat or the wetlands, so it creates all this increased vegetative diversity, which then uh, songbirds or other you know, um, wildlife, other mammals um, can then utilize herbivores themselves. And so again, yeah, that idea that they're a keystone is that they're interacting as a process-based ecosystem engineer by working in these uh, the, uh, flowing riverine systems and managing water to manage vegetation because beavers are herbivores. They don't eat fish. A lot of people think maybe they eat fish, but they only eat plants. They eat roots and they eat shoots and they eat willow bark or the bark of other trees. And they're, they're basically forest farmers that harvest water and they, they do irrigation. And it just happens to be that a whole bunch of other life that depends on water then gets the benefit from all of the beaver-modified habitat that they create. You know, you, you mentioned growing up and, you know, observing the beavers in their own habitat. And, and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what has happened to beavers over time, because in some of the research that I was doing before the show, I was really pretty, uh, and, and actually in conversations I've had with you in the past, like it's pretty impressive how 
prolific the distribution of beaver were in North America. And then conversely, how limited their populations are now comparatively. And I know a lot, you know, during European settlement of North America, beavers were hunted and trapped for their furs. And it, it did bring them close to extinction to many parts of the US. But can you talk a little bit about the history of beavers and, and even about the efforts to reintroduce them to areas and what drove those reintroductions? Sure. Yeah, we used to have beaver all over the North American continent. And to be clear, two different kinds of beaver. We have the Eurasian beaver, castor fiber, and we have the North American beaver. So we're talking about North American beaver tonight. And they went all the way up to the taiga and all the way down to the Sonoran Desert with the extent of the distribution covering 10% of, of our waterways, and basically the estimates are 400 million beaver populated the continent. And so they had a huge impact on our waterways that can still be seen today in looking at all of these montane meadows. You know, they've found buried beaver dams that were ultimately responsible for a lot of these amazing features that we still have on the landscape today. And so certainly, yeah. They, because they had that amazing fur that makes felt really beautifully, they became the, the casualty of, of early capitalist endeavors and colonialism and uh, settler uh, extractive economy. And so, like you said, they were brought to near extinction. And here in California, they kind of got a double whammy. There were initially the seagoing captains that were basically trawling the waters for anything with fur so the marine fur bearers but also the terrestrial fur bearers as well were being hit really hard and that was happening in the 16 and 1700s and so there they were getting really uh, pressured and exterminated from from that side of the state and then ultimately in the 1820s and 30s we, the mountain men finally made it over from from the east and and finished it off and so really you know, as far as we can tell, by 19, early 1900s, California, they, there were a few remaining beaver populations kind of down in the Delta, a few maybe up in the Klamath area. But the, the Division of Fish and Wildlife, as it was called back then, or Fish and Game, actually, they, could, they estimated the numbers were about 1,000 at that point. And so recognizing the value of beaver at that point, they decided to start bringing them back themselves. And from 1923 until 1950, there was a very conscientious and concerted effort to restore beaver to a lot of their former range. And over 1,200 beaver were relocated across the state. And some of our beaver populations today stem from those relocations. And we're really grateful that that effort happened because now we have more beaver than we would have otherwise. I was going to say, the, the beavers that are currently existing over in Big River, actually, if you go upstream in Big River, those beavers, um, uh, there was a translocation project in Big River um, in that era of the 30s and 40s, and so those are likely the progeny from that effort for the coastal Mendocino beavers. And possibly there's some South Fork eel and, and, and relationship to the beavers in Outlet Creek now that may stem from some of those translocations of that era. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, I want to come back around to the Big River Beavers again because I have some questions for you guys about that. But it is really interesting. I mean, I read one thing that said that basically the only place where there were not beavers in the continental U.S. was like the tip of Florida and the Great Basin. And Kate, you mentioned like because of their value, they were reintroduced. But I'm curious what specific values drove that reintroduction? Is it the same type of value that like those of us, like you, Brock, and myself that work in river restoration, is it that kind of value or was it more uh, about a hunting and commercial value? I think it was both. I mean, certainly if you watch the uh, the great uh, black and white uh, Idaho uh, footage of the parachuting beavers, which is one of the ways that they returned beaver to remote areas, it was literally throwing beaver out of airplanes and boxes with parachutes. Uh, it was to replenish the, the fur trapping, but, but if you look, we have actually in our, uh, we have a beaver stewardship guidebook that's available for free online, and we have a copy of the poster that the, the fish and game division developed about the parachuting beavers and they say in it that they are doing it to uh, restore the watershed and, and help keep the water on the landscape longer and prevent erosion and retain sediment and so they actually at that point had a very clear ecological understanding and sense of it and this was in fact the justification for moving those beaver across California. So I'm curious, if, if in the 1930s we recognized how important they were, why do you think it's taking so long? Taken so long for, you know, kind of the the, the excitement for for beaver and the reintroduction of beaver to, to build. I mean, it's it's somewhat you know conjecture. A lot of us ask this question, but. Um, Kate mentioned that at the, the last year that the beaver translocation was happening by the state in California was 1950. And I think if we really think about what happened in California from 1950 on, post-World War II, the baby boomer moment, the era of big dams, big irrigation projects, industrial agriculture, um, the growth of the state through the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, it looks and feels like that we didn't need the help of beavers because we had big machines, we had hydroelectric, we had oil, we were of the era of damming all the rivers. So they they just decided we don't need beaver dams because we're gonna we're gonna put in the Hoover Dam, we're gonna put in you know O'Shaughnessy Dam, we're gonna put in the you know the, all the all the big dams, and, and it just seems like that those the, the and beaver got. They were just a problem. They became a nuisance. They blocked up the agricultural systems, the, the delta levees. And that was of an era when that was, that was happening. And so I think we're dealing with kind of the, the legacy of the, of the post-World War II industrial booming days. And beaver are a casualty like salmon, like indigenous people, like many folks who kind of, if you were perceived of to be against progress as defined in those days you you needed to get moved out of the way it was the big get get big or get out kind of thing this a likely conjecture and it's only really really we're only in the last decade to be honest with you some of us have been pushing hard on the beaver thing for a couple decades but any uptake is the last 10 years is the last five years 
um, because maybe things are so desperate that the need for creativity and other support to move things such as salmonic recovery forward is willing to, to um, work with any solution we can. And so we're back to beavers. But we've got to bring back <laughs> the beavers to get back to the beavers. Or at least stop right. killing the beavers we have. <laughs> so if you're just tuning in, um, this is the Ecology Hour, and I'm Anna Halligan. And I just shared a recording from a bigger interview I did in January with Kate Lundquist and Brooke Dolman from the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center. Now I want to share an interview I recorded last week with Kate. And this was prompted by some recent news that Governor Newsom and the legislature have allocated funds to um, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife's budget to create a beaver restoration program. Um, And the current fiscal year's budget is going to allocate a little over one and a half million. And then in the fiscal year of 2023 and 24, another 1.4 million will be allocated towards this new program. And the idea is that these scientists are going to work to revise beaver policies and guidelines in development of a comprehensive beaver management plan. And just as a reminder, this is a pre-recorded show. So I'm here with Kate and there's some big news or new news in the state regarding the uh, beavers and restoration. And so um, first, Kate, thanks for joining me. And thanks for um, having me. It's so good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you can tell me what's going on. Like what happened in, was it like late June? Um, That's different. And what do we have to look forward to in the world of beavers and restoration in California? Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me back again, Anna. Always lovely to be on your show. And yes, we've got some great news. So on May 13th, this is when Governor Gavin Newsom announced the revision of the fiscal year 2022-23 state budget. And in that budget proposal was a line item for a new beaver restoration program to be led by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Yep, you heard it right, a new beaver restoration program. So after 10 years of working super hard with a bunch of other beaver believers and folks that are trying to get beaver restoration out on the landscape to save our salmon and restore our watersheds, the department has finally uh, been, so this was proposed that they be given this uh, money to create this new program. And uh, this was approved when the governor signed the budget into, uh, into being in June, and the funding came forward uh, as of the beginning of this month, July 1st. And so what this program is about is that the department has been given money to create a whole new program that has five staff, and these staff are going to be focused on creating a beaver management plan. They're going to be updating the beaver policies and guidelines. They are going to be uh, looking at prioritizing beaver restoration projects and identifying potential beaver relocation projects. 
and then reaching out to the public and getting input on this whole process. And so this is really huge. Uh, as some of you may recall, most of the code that exists currently in the California Fish and Game Code that pertains to beaver has to do with how you deal with them if they're causing you problems. Uh, and up until 2019, you could still recreationally trap them. That has since been made illegal. And so now it's just about uh, nuisance management, what we call depredation if you're trying to kill beavers. And so fast forward to now and the creation of this new program, we have this amazing opportunity where the department is going to be creating a whole uh, system for managing the beaver that we have in, in the state. And it's really exciting because we started kind of getting wind of this um, in maybe it was April, I guess, the department, you know, put out a Facebook uh, post on International Beaver Day of like, look, um, you know, today's International Beaver Day and we want to recognize the value of beaver and their importance to conservation and restoring fisheries and watersheds. And we've just added a bunch of new information on our website. And in fact, they did. And this is the first time since we've been working with the Department on Beaver Issues that they've really taken this step to acknowledge that beaver are native and that they are, have this really important keystone role that they play in conserving our watersheds. And they're really stepping forward to provide resources and, uh, and educate folks about the importance of beaver. And so that was the first hint. And then, Lo and behold, this new budget item was announced in May and then it got passed in June. And so right now the department is busily working away at hiring these, these five new positions. If you know good folks who would be a good candidate for this new beaver restoration program, ideally someone who uh, understands the important role beaver play in, in recovery of fisheries and and restoration of watersheds be really great to make sure they apply for the job. We want to get good candidates in there. And, um, and then once their program is, is up and running, then we are really looking forward to working with the department to give input on uh, this management plan that they will be creating and hopefully make it the best management plan in the West that we can ensure that beaver are being conserved and the ones that we have are being you know taken care of and coexisted with in a good way and um, and that we are identifying great places to return beaver to their former range and make sure that um, we are partnering them partnering with beaver in the best way possible so that's the big news. We're super excited. Uh, we're just, you know, we met with the department in 2015 and talked about, hey, we need a beaver management plan. What can we do? And the answer back then was, we don't have money. We can't do this. It's not going to happen. And so it feels like we're literally in a huge watershed moment right now where there's been a big about face and just this amazing recognition and opportunity and funding to back this uh, new phase of 
beaver conservation at the state level. So we're super excited. We can't wait to work with the department on this and all of our other partners and are just thrilled. I have a feeling that there are going to be a lot of people in the resource management and restoration field that are going to, going to be going after those positions. I mean, that's such a, um, a unique position within any state agency. And then just given the relative excitement that I think there has been in the restoration and the watershed restoration community for a very long time about seeing more activity and more proactive restoration solutions that are either mimicking beaver habitats that are created by beavers or that are promoting and conserving the habitat um, of existing beavers on the landscape. So I, I just have a feeling that those are going to be really coveted positions. Um, but this was, yeah, this is no small feat. And, and you mentioned 2015. So for seven years, Occidental Arts and Ecology Center and other partners have been working to try and promote this kind of sea change within, within the agency. And I know we talked about this a little bit on the other show, but I mean, looking back, what did it take to get to where we are today? It took a whole beaver colony's worth of, of dedicated individuals and organizations and agencies Really, it's been a, a group effort. And for us, it really started in 10 years ago when uh, one of the obstacles we were coming up against when talking about beaver restoration in California was the question of whether or not they were native to certain areas. And literally on the website for California Department of Fish and Wildlife, there was still a relic list of non-native nuisance species that beaver was on. And so we were like, wait a minute, this is, beaver are native to California. What is going on here? And so that uh, inspired a whole group of folks, including my co-director, Brock Dolman, to start uh, looking for evidence of beaver being native. Uh, and the, the argument arose because of an old report from 1942 by a gentleman by the name of Donald Tappy who was very much uh, in favor of beaver and recognized their role. And this was in the height of the beaver relocation era of the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And in the status of beaver report, he basically adopted the historic range map that had been established earlier by uh, Joseph Grinnell, the famed mammologist. And in that range map, it cited that basically beaver were only native to the the Klamath, kind of Modoc, Upper California range, and then Central Valley and uh, the Colorado River, and that was it. And they were not native anywhere above 1,000 feet in the Sierra Nevada and not native to anywhere on the coast south of the Klamath. And so that was getting everyone's heads kind of scratching. They're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense. And, you know, part of that got further confused by the fact that California did move beaver around during that era between 1923 and 1950. And so thankfully, um, there was a lot of evidence to be found, buried beaver dams up in the Sierra, particularly the Northern Sierra, lots of historic evidence. Uh, we found a beaver tooth that had been excavated out um, 
just north of the Matoll River on the coast there as well, and lots of ethnographic evidence and 60 names for beaver and native California languages. And, and so all of that evidence was assembled into these papers that were then peer-reviewed and published. And so one was done for the Sierra Nevada and then another one for the coast, which I got to participate in that one, which was super interesting. And so that was the beginning of really trying to help people think about our perceptions around beaver and how those perceptions were affecting the way we we're managing them. So if you think they're a non-native nuisance, you're going to treat them like that and try to eradicate them. There's just kind of that knee-jerk reaction. And then they being a very effective rodent doesn't help their image either. And so um, once that information got out there, there, we started to gain more traction. And there were others that were involved in that paper, Heidi Perryman, Dr. Rick Landman, Eli Asarian joined, Dr. Michael Pollack. Uh, it was a great team of folks that were uh, rooting out all these different uh, sources of, of information to help people rethink the historic range of beaver. And so now our thinking is that it is most likely that beaver are, in fact, native to most of California. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence uh, to indicate that and support that. And we're always open to adding more evidence to that. So that, that really helped get the conversation going and uh, get particularly other agencies, I noticed, um, were very much um, willing to rethink their position. Uh, we had some great interactions with folks from the U.S. Forest Service, for example, who were rethinking their beaver management in the Lake Tahoe Basin, for example, and they, they ended up, you know, based on the evidence that we had found, decided that they were going to start managing them like a native species and put up signage and, and um, better, you know, focus on coexistence efforts. And so, that was really helpful, and you know there were still folks who um, weren't convinced, and so there was still a lot of need to really continue to demonstrate um, the value of beaver and the role beaver plays in our, our conservation um, goals that we have as a state. And so, you know just continuing to educate and start working with different folks and working with those who already understood the value. And so we were having a lot of great collaborations with folks at NOAA and, you know, National Marine Fisheries Service and other, you know, federal agencies in particular, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service was really, you know, doing great work to demonstrate how beaver coexistence could really um, support restoration, you know, our partner Damien Ciotti, who's with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the demonstration site that uh, we, he has been working on at Doty Ravine, for example, has been this great multi-year effort to show that, you know, just simply by stopping killing the beaver and then reinforcing their dams and giving them more space by breaking down levees and putting in uh, beaver dam analogs and other in-stream structures to really harness the processes and have it become this uh, incredible wetland oasis that it is now, where it's increased the wetted area by 1,200%, you know, for a mere $58,000 over seven years. You know, 
bringing people out to see that and to be involved in that and, you know, doing workshops out there and trainings and having folks, um, regulators and, and, you know, both state and federal come out there and just see what this, you know, beaver and process-based restoration thing was that everyone's starting to talk about was really helpful to, to um, get folks on board. And, you know, as you know, with our uh, involvement at the San Juan Restoration Federation's annual conference, having, bringing scientists in from other states who have been doing long-term, you know, multi-year, highly monitored studies on the benefits of, of beaver and process-based restoration to, you know, Salmonids in particular has really helped up the literacy on all fronts. And then in the last five, six years, you know, Brock and I were very much involved with the Sierra Meadows Partnership and equally trying to bring that science and that awareness to the, the Meadows restoration community and, and really help uh, that that community identify ways that they could be better harnessing the power of beaver and process in, in the meadow restoration project. So really focusing from ridgeline to reef and looking at all the places uh, between where we could intervene and really uh, support those land users and managers in identifying ways and opportunities that they could be partnering with beaver rather than just disregarding them as uh, a non-native nuisance, which they are not. And so, um, and then also really supporting on the coexistence piece as well, um, providing sample, you know, demonstrations and uh, technical support and helping landowners get funding to do these strategies, I think also has been really helpful. And then, you know, you can't deny that ultimately, you know, just having this concerted effort where people are coming together and just continuing to um, bring forward the the valid science and information that is out there and to um, to really just show that this stuff works and it's not just some fad uh, it's it's um, it's a very long standing approach that is um, is, is finally getting recognized in California. And so for us, you know, by the time we started, you know, having meetings and trying to get the department to come on board, there were still some internal uh, divisions around, you know, folks' perceptions around beaver. And so um, one of the ways we decided to really try to bring home uh, just this idea that we're really missing an opportunity when we're just allowing beaver to be depredated left and right without any um, reckoning for what impact that could be having on listed species and what impact that could be having on the watersheds that a lot of these important species are relying on. We filed a petition in 2019 with the Center for Biological Diversity and the Environmental Protection Information Center and I know I've talked about this before, but that really actually helped give us a seat at the table with the department to mm -hmm. really start hashing out, like, look, these are your codes that you have currently, and these are the limitations that we see, and how can we adjust this so that it better reflects the value of beaver, takes advantage of the habitat benefits they provide for free, 
and also ensures that listed species aren't being harmed in the process of them being removed when in those cases where they do need to be removed, they are. And so that's been really helpful, having that, um, that just commitment, because through the petition process, they have to have this conversation with us. And it's been really fruitful. And honestly, in the last two years, that, all of that energy that's been put in on so many different levels for that long really started to come to fruition with the fact that some money was finally allocated to the department to start doing better coexistence. So suddenly they had the leeway and the, um, the ability to show up and to staff this effort. Uh, that really started helping. And then um, having the governor get really interested in Beaver and Director Wade Crowfoot of the California Natural Resources Agency also being really interested in Beaver and us taking advantage of that moment and making sure that their new strategies, you know, the climate smart, well, what is it, the Natural and Working Lands Climate Smart Strategy, you know, having beaver and process-based restoration uh, be included in that. We got massive show of support of, you know, over 70 signatories uh, wanting to see that in that plan. And it, it got in the plan, which is super great. And so there was that you know, the state was suddenly, you know, getting more interested. And then there were some key retirements. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> Sometimes mm -hmm. change happens one retirement at a time. And uh, we got some new, fresh uh, energy and upper management at Cal Fish and Wildlife. And the governor then proposed this uh, budget and having the money to be able to actually do something rather than just you know, having it be some tokenistic thing you talk about, but actually have some money behind it to support the creation of a department like this. Uh, that was just the final icing on the cake that really helped make this all happen. And, you know, for us at OAC in the last year in particular, we've been working with an amazing consultant at the Capitol by the name of Jennifer Fearing, and she has really helped us with just maintaining a thoughtful and collaborative presence with our state agency representatives and stay engaged in a way that's been really productive and and uh, effective. And that, you know, people are, are laughing and saying, oh, the beaver in California finally got a lobbyist. <laughs> and it's true. They right. did. And Jennifer's been great. And that's been really... Um, you know, she's just been helping us take advantage of the, the trajectory that we've already been on and to harness the energy and momentum that we've already built in the past 10 years. She kind of just got to come in and, and help us over this finish line. And we still have our work cut out for us. There's going to be a lot of work to do over the next year or two as, you know, these the programs being developed and the management plan itself, you know, we're still engaged in this depredation process and that will basically dovetail into the management plan itself. And so, um, yeah, we still have our work cut out for us, but we're really excited and just feel so heartened to know that uh, there's so much possibility and, and that change is possible and that our state resource agency is 
is willing and open and now funded to do the right thing for beaver in California. Yeah, it's, you know, as a biologist and an ecologist, it's always really comforting when you have an example where science and research have prevailed, you know? Mm. And I, I feel like, um, you know, beavers really haven't had any champions, and it took, and I know Arsenal Arts and Ecology Center weren't the only people um, involved in, in kind of championing the beavers' effort um, in an effort to, like, kind of re, to, to take a, the mischaracterization of the species and kind of redirect the um, understanding of how important a role beaver play in watershed and ecological health. And so you guys really did, though. You, you were a big player in trying to um, make a case for beaver in the state of California. And it is incredibly hard to redirect the attention of an agency, especially, you know, California Fish and Wildlife is responsible for mani managing all of the fish and wildlife in a state that is as diverse as California, and that's not a small job. Um, so the, their capacity sometimes to think about things differently or to create a new program like they are, like that also is um, not a small accomplishment. So the fact that you guys and all of your partners and your beaver lobbyist Jennifer with Fearless and with Fearless Advocacy um, and all the other partners that were involved, like this is, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm getting a little um, grandiose here, but it's almost like a little bit of a Herculean effort and to be able to build up the support, get the attention of the important people that make decisions for the state about this and um, to really, you know, advocate for the importance of, 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 of focusing on this particular species in a conservation manner. And I'm, I'm also heartwarmed, uh, it's kind of heartwarming to hear that it sounds like the beaver management plan is going to be collaborative. So it seems like, like your group may still have a seat at the table even though the agency is hiring these new positions to kind of focus on developing this effort. Who, who are some of the other types of stakeholders or representatives that you think might be part of um, figuring out what a beaver management plan looks like for the state of California? We are eagerly awaiting to see what that looks like. So when we last mm -hmm. met with Director Bonham and Chad Dibble, who is his deputy director, they were they were the ones who let us know that they would be engaging stakeholders in the development of this management plan. And we absolutely intend to do all we can to make sure we have a seat at that table and are hoping that that is in fact the case. Uh, one of the things they mentioned is that they would you know, be engaging diverse stakeholders and they would probably have uh, one group and then another that was focused solely on tribal stakeholders, which seems appropriate. And, um, mm -hmm. and I would imagine that, yeah, any you know, hopefully it'll be a well-rounded uh, group of stakeholders that they engage, you know, all types of landowners and water users and uh, different, um, you know, whether it's agricultural interests or conservation interests, 
or just general, you know, we have so many different folks out there on the landscape that could potentially benefit from beaver who might want to actually have a say in, in how they're being managed. And, you know, I'm hoping that because of the 10 years of work that we have done and a lot of others have done to educate folks about the facts around how we can, there are ways to receive all the benefits of beaver while not having to suffer the damages because we will be the first to admit that beaver modify landscapes greatly. And in some cases, it can challenge our infrastructure and challenge our, you know, what we're trying to achieve through our land management activities and goals. And so we really want to be out front with the solutions of how to head those off at the pass and make sure that every Californian who might be living in the midst of fever, knows what those coexistence strategies are and is resourced to carry out those strategies in, in a good way and in an effective way so that we can really create this culture of stewardship that starts with coexistence first. And um, we get it. We don't want, you know, the roads people, we don't want the, you know, water agencies and the floods, you know, flood districts and all of those folks who might be frustrated by beavers' desire to dam and block things. We don't want them, you know, suffering because of, of this new, you know, beaver restoration program. We want them to actually be well-resourced and to be able to uh, meet that meet those challenges in even a better way than they are right now. I mean, that is certainly my intention with this program as much as we can uh, provide that kind of input and, and guidance is, is really just like, all right, let's make sure everyone has the tools that they need to live with beavers so that we can all win because it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the best case scenario as far as I'm concerned. And so, yeah, it remains to be seen who will show up for the conversation. I'm really excited to see who those folks are. You know, there's still questions and concerns around, you know, the beaver habitat modifications and, and what, you know, what impacts do, uh, does that have on, you know, fisheries and, and different focal species, you know, in some cases, you know, I, I know the, there's a, the fisheries community in Southern California, for example, are really concerned about, the the impacts on southern steelhead and you know they're living in a highly altered regime that most waterways are regulated through dams and uh you know very very uh human uh human regulated flows as opposed to beaver regulated flows and so or rainwater regulated flows and so it's it's a different regime, and um, and while we have tons of evidence that beaver are native to Southern California, there are folks in Southern California that are still questioning that and are very concerned for their their southern steelhead. And so that's a conversation that will need to be have had. And you know we're really excited that we have an ally in Dr. Emily Fairfax, who is a researcher and beaver scientist, hydrologist. Uh, in Southern California at Cal State University Channel Islands. And she has been a huge 
advocate for beaver restoration, and her research has been focused a lot on the role beaver play in creating fire breaks and uh, helping large landscapes become more resilient to climate change and, and wildfire. And so she is definitely super engaged in the conversation, and we, you know, we welcome the conversation. We really want to keep exploring you know, what the challenges are, what the concerns are, and, and make sure that we come up with good strategies for, for really getting to the bottom of these questions because that's, you know, there's still a lot of questions to be answered. And, um, you know, beaver often get blamed for the problems. And uh, sometimes it's not actually the beaver. There are other deeper source problems such as human dams and lack of precipitation and other invasive species that were brought here by humans. And so it's, it's more, it can be a more complex uh, puzzle than, you know, it's not as simple as it's just the beaver's fault. And so we're super interested in, in delving into those questions and, and getting better answers and, and really getting quality research. Because I don't know if you're aware that there was a paper that came out last year about beaver not being native to Southern California, and it had some questionable science behind it that um, we are still looking into to see um, if we can figure out what's going on there. But I know a lot of the folks that are concerned about beaver in Southern California are now uh, very much behind this paper. And mm. um, yeah, so there's obviously, there's obviously a lot more um, in that regard, you know, a lot more to be understood and right there. So, uh, yeah, so no shortage of uh, research projects. So those of you listening, if you've got uh, someone looking for a research uh, or a thesis topic, dissertation topic, uh, definitely contact Emily Fairfax. We need you. (laughs) I mean, that's, it's kind of, it's a great thing about science is that, you know, it, it, there's, it's, it takes many studies sometimes to get to the truth, right? And and sometimes, even though it's well-intentioned, not all papers have all the information in it. That's why there's lots of peer review and, and, and back and forth when we um, see publications that come out and they're asserting certain things. Like that's kind of the fun in the scientific community is being able to look at what people are doing and maybe poke some holes at it or maybe ask more questions and then look into those questions and see if you can really get down to what's happening. And hopefully that's what will happen here and we can get a, a real good understanding about what the historical geographic range of beaver were in California. And uh, it is, it's a ripe research project for anybody that's in school right now. There's funding out there. There's a lot of momentum building. You can really contribute towards something that's really meaningful. So, and it would be really fun. It just sounds like it would be really fun research to do. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. Where, uh, so where can people find out more information about this? I mean, I really appreciate all that you've shared. This is, it is exciting. It's fascinating. Um, but if people are still interested, are there some good resources out there that they can check into to get more information? You can always go to our website, which is O A E C, which 
is our acronym for Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, oaec.org slash beaver. We're constantly posting stuff there. And uh, I would also point folks to a new resource that we are part of, which is the California PBR Network, the California Process-Based Network, which is a super exciting new development that we have been partnering with U.S. Forest Service and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Cal Fish and Wildlife, and a bunch of other NGOs and practitioners. And that website is cal, C-A-L, pbr.org. So it's just six letters, C-A-L-P-B-R.org. And this is a newly launched network that we just started this year. And we have a website that has some information. You can get on a mailing list. And we are intending to start having bi-monthly meetings. We had our initial launch meeting and are working on getting our next meeting together. And we are also intending to have an annual field workshop for both regulators, practitioners, um, beaver and process-based restoration um, curious to show up and learn about the techniques. And uh, really, this ultimately is going to become a clearinghouse for permitting pathways for those folks that are trying to get this work done out there in the world and to just better understand the, these techniques, how they work, and how we can restore beaver well, and how we can use process-based restoration techniques like in-stream structures and, and different strategies to affect really wonderful change in restoration across the landscape at scale and to do it for a relatively low cost. Is, is, is one of our intentions. So we have a newsletter on, on that um, website as well, so definitely check that out. And the Water Institute, you know, we, we post blogs and try to get the information out there, and we're on social media. So, you know, you can find OAC's Facebook page and our Instagram page. And, um, and then otherwise, uh, yeah, Get engaged with the Salmonid Restoration Federation and Sierra Meadows Partnership. And both of those organizations have strong beaver allies and advocates within them as well. And I'm really grateful for those organizations' support of the beaver work that we've been doing. And uh, really look forward to continuing the collaboration and getting more folks on board. And um, if you haven't read the book, eager yet. That is like the best beaver 101, like catch all for all things beaver, uh, a book written by Ben Goldfarb. And it's called Eager, The Secret and Surprising Life of Beaver and Why They Matter. And it's a great read if you need some uh, midsummer reading to get your Wet Your Beaver Appetite, and um, it's a great audiobook too, if, if, if that's your jam. So I highly recommend that as well. Well, um, anything else you want to add um, before we go? Uh, I just really want to thank 
all of the people who have been supporting this effort. I know there are a lot of unsung heroes out there. You know, those of us loudmouths who get out there, you know, tend to get a lot of the praise. And so I really want to just thank all of our partners and all of the, you know, just interested folks and landowners and supporters and the tribal partners that we've been working with. And, um, and then really just thank our state agency who, you know, both, you know, our governor and um, Cal Department of Fish and Wildlife and our legislators who passed the budget and, you know, kept this uh, item in the budget. I feel like this is a really good step forward and I really want to praise their leadership and in, in, um, saying yes to this and really looking forward to working with everyone on next steps and making California a really wonderful beaver state. Well, that concludes another episode of the Ecology Hour. Thank you, Kate, for taking the time to sit with me and to talk about the recent news related to um, the beaver restoration program that's going to be led by California Fish and Wildlife. And also special thanks to Brock Dolman, who sat with me in January and also helped contribute towards this show. And thanks to you, the listeners, for listening in and for supporting Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. We also stream live at kzyx.org, and we can be found on Facebook. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 